Welcome to Maximizing Life in the Middle, a podcast featuring two people consciously living and loving as husband and wife, parents, and individuals working to make the most out of their lives. I'm Jay Taylor. And I am Aaron Taylor, and we are so happy that you are spending some time with us today. for everything so when we were talking about what we wanted to discuss today we were thinking about how our lives we feel are are full of a number of things but they're not full of everything and there were points in time in our lives when we were younger where we might have thought we wanted to try and stuff or jam everything into there, or you wanted to kind of have it all. Um, and that doesn't necessarily, you know, one of the ideas that we come back to all the time is how to have it all without having it all. That's one of like the phrases from one of your, one of your uh, mentors or one of the people who you, who you uh, listen to, who you talk to. Um, so today I have the great um, fortune, good luck, uh, honor. right place, right time, honor of being able to do a uh, guest speaking role slash clinic um, at my son's high school um, for the volleyball team, the boys volleyball team there. And it's uh, something that I've been a coach for a number of years in volleyball. In fact, I started coaching volleyball shortly after uh, I left college. Um, and within the first two years, I was working as the head coach of a volleyball team in uh, Maryland for the Johns Hopkins men's team. And Aaron actually was kind of my assistant at the time. So I've through the past 20-some years, I've been a coach a number of different times. Um, and I'll say that some of those times were easier and some of them were more challenging <laughs> given our um, place in life or where we were at that point yeah, in our sure. lives. For sure. And, and so today it's it's at 2.30, from 2.30 to 5 o'clock. And so right off the bat, there's an enormous amount of uh, freedom in my job that allows me to be able to do something like that in the middle of what or towards the end of what is a normal quote-unquote normal work day to be able to go into the school and to share with the kids and i think we have to give props to your wonderful assistant because she holds the fort down in a tremendous way which helps you to be able to do these things when they come up because she's so amazing yes she is uh she's you know she's been working with me for uh i think 14 years um, and she's she's as much part of our team as, as anyone in terms of helping us, both of us, be able to do a lot of the different things that we do. Um, so today I had this opportunity to go in there and coach the boys. And it's, you know, it's my son, it's his team, and I feel like I have a lot to offer about 
volleyball in general to talk to the boys about. And in the past, I coached my nieces at various times, specifically my oldest niece. I coached her in volleyball right as our youngest son was being born, the challenging time. Um, And that team had an end-of-year tournament where each year around Memorial Day, they would go to Penn State, and this, this is still done for coach for teams of that uh, age group. There's a end of year tournament in Penn State, and that's is, probably about five hours from where we live. Five hours. It's a three day tournament. It's a phenomenal experience for the girls. You start out ungrouped because they don't know each respective team's abilities, and then by the time you get to that third day of play, the teams have been shuffled and and juggled until you're really playing competitive matches against teams of equal skill. So the second year that I was coaching, shortly after our son Brady was born, about a month? He was three weeks old, but who's counting? Yeah, he was three weeks old, and then I left for three days to go to Penn State to coach a girls team that my niece by that point wasn't actually playing on. Yeah, there was some shuffling of that coaching uh, staff yeah. in that in that organization, and so it was especially a bitter pill for me to swallow because I was as the months were ticking by. This was so this was leading into Memorial Day weekend, and so as the months were ticking by, and our youngest son's due date was approaching. I knew that shortly after he was born, whenever he was going to be born in early May, that several weeks later you would leave. And at that point, we had a four-year-old and a (laughs) two-year-old, and then he was born. So you left for three days, and I had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-week-old. And, you know, I have to... (laughs) My hat goes off to all the, the military wives out there who... You know, this is just, sometimes this is just a routine part of life for them. I don't know how they do it because that three days was traumatic for me. It was so hard to be kind of a single parent for three days with an infant and other kids. It was just crazy. So that time of year or that time of our lives, coaching didn't fit quite as painlessly into our lives as it does now. And now you run a weekly clinic that is an indoor clinic that is for boys and girls, so our son and daughter go to it. You also sometimes are doing this beach clinic, beach volleyball clinic for our daughter, and you may be starting something beach-wise with our son. And so you're coaching an awful lot. Now today you're doing this guest thing with his high school team, and... That's in addition to you playing once or twice a week because you sub for our son's team because he also plays once a week on a league at night. And then whatever, we have a beach volleyball court in our backyard, so two or three or four or seven days a week if the sun is shining, there are people in our backyard playing. So it's crazy. It's actually kind of crazy how much coaching and playing you're doing right now. But because our kids are a little older, it doesn't seem quite as stressful and difficult for me as it used to. Yeah, the the amount of volleyball, the amount of volleyball that is kind of 
crept in in the past six months to a year as our son has graduated from being somebody who was very much focused on baseball as his thing and came I'll say came around though you know we could debate <laughs> the brainwashing that. was successful the brainwashing was finally successful uh, and he but came we, around but we really don't brainwash our kids no we but let them choose whatever in the heck they want to do absolutely so when it, as we finally have gotten to the point where he has recognized a natural gift for the sport and an enjoyment of it yeah and an aptitude and, and kind of all of those things that have you know sort of gone together into the mix um our focus on volleyball or the volleyball level in this house <laughs> has reached a new level. An epic level. <laughs> and that's saying something coming from the fact that we've had a beach volleyball court in our backyard for six years, seven years. So really at this point, co the, the idea though is that coaching volleyball now feels like a natural fit. I actually, in point of fact, the the clinic that you were talking about just a few minutes ago, the, the beach thing that's two days a week that our son is going to do, you actually were encouraging me last night saying, oh, yeah, well, aren't you going to be involved in, in helping to run that? And I sort of said, well, it kind of conflicts with my own personal playing. And your response to me was, We'll just switch the days that you're playing to the other two days and then move into doing that additional coaching on that day. And that's a big change, I think, from, you know, certainly from 20 years ago when, you know, the mere mention, I think, at times of volleyball, you know, had your had your eyes rolling in the back of your head and, uh, you know, not not very excited about it to now, I think an ability to sort of embrace that and it's because it is the time and the place for that. But I, I do want to interject here and say that probably the very first activity that we did together when we first got together in college was play on an intramural volleyball team at our school. So it's always been a part of our lives from the day we met really. And there are times when it fit in more and times when it fit in less, and times when I was fine with it, and times when I was resentful of it. And so I think we're coming back around because our kids are older. So if you're out with one or two of them, and I'm home with one or two of them, or you know I have to run the rest of them around wherever they have to go, it's no big deal. And actually, when you have the older two out, and it's just me and our younger son, it's really fun. We go for bike rides. We play at the park. We we play card games. We watch, um, what are they called? Dude Perfect videos, whatever, <laughs> um, which and, are very fun, by the way. <laughs> if you haven't checked them out on YouTube, I would go check them out. And it's important to remember that the last one, he is not playing volleyball. Yes, well, that's what he, he that's what he says, and <laughs> we know that we say, okay, whatever you say, dear. Yeah. And he will either decide, but that's the point, right? He yeah. will either decide that he wants to play or he won't, and it doesn't matter either way to us. Yeah, it's what we talked about in uh, the last episode where his, his nature right now is very much to be 
his first instinct is to say no or not. And to any new opportunity. To any new opportunity. And we've, you've learned, I, I still struggle with it at times, but you've learned to just go, okay, we'll see how that goes down the road. And, and our oldest, who now is, you know, fully enmeshed in this as his thing, volleyball, he said some of the same things early on about volleyball. Maybe not quite with <laughs> not, the energy. Yeah, not with the emphasis that our younger firecracker does. But it's hard. I, I think it's hard for a... Um, there's the um again. It's hard for a child to look at something that is such a part of one of their parents' lives and is their thing and to come to it and say, okay, well, yes, I want to do that thing and feel okay about it kind of carving out, being able to carve out a piece of their identity into that activity that is such a part of their parents' lives. I mean, it's, you know, we've gone on now for nearly 10 minutes about volleyball and it's, it's obviously a big part of my life. It's a big part of our lives together. And for a child to come in and look at it and go, okay, well, where am I going to fit into that? How's that going to be my thing? I think our son is actually doing a really good job of managing that and sort of making it kind of um, his own thing while utilizing what we have to offer in, in background there. Um, I also wanted to... but along the lines of the theme of a time and place for everything, um, there are so many other things that in our lives have proven to be right at one point in time. And then we really try and be... Uh, well, maybe a good fit at one point in time. Yeah. And then not such a good fit at a different point in time. Because I don't think you should say right and wrong. Okay, so not right and wrong. That's that's maybe too... Uh, there's too much pejorative to, to something being right or wrong. But things that are a fit at one point, and then they're not a fit. And we or try they and, weren't a fit, and now suddenly they are. Right. Or whatever. And we try and be con contemplative and recognize when something is no longer a good fit and then, you know, without, without, you know, trying to sound like we're uh, draconian about it, just, you know, we kind of say, okay, well, that doesn't fit anymore, so it's time for that to not be a part of our lives and to sort of leave it behind. I'll, you know, we had a couple lists of different things to talk about, and I, I mean, I'll even give a more recent example of something, um, which is for a number of months almost a year I've been doing art instruction and I've had a great time with it it's been wonderful um, I've had you know about four or five different students at times who've worked with me and most recently um, it just hasn't felt like the right fit for a couple of different reasons that you know not really that important but I just recognize that you know we're coming into summer with all the things that we just enumerated my time is now going to be taken up with a number of other things and it's not a it wasn't a great fit for me right at this moment but I did like the way you when you talked to the parents 
of your students. Yeah. You said, why don't we take, almost like, take the summer off? Right. And when you're in any kind of schooling, education, well, kids anyway, not necessarily adults, but it's very normal to take the summer off. Yep. So I thought that was really good. And then you'll get back in touch with them as the summer draws to a close and see if their kids are still interested in picking back up when things settle down for us, and then it will probably fit again. Yeah. And that was that was uh, something that a friend of mine, uh, who's an artist also and does some some teaching, suggested to me as a normal course of what happens with um, art students. Is that typically summers are more difficult for scheduling purposes. Kids are not in the mode of uh, education and schooling at that time. It's more the free time. So, so that makes sense. But that was an example of something where you know a small thing, where you know, I kind of felt my way through that process. And I don't know if this, you know, the, the idea of a time and a place for everything, it, there's an expression that a, a friend of mine uses, and it's, it's, it's sometimes it's used in a, in a different manner, but this is, uh, if it feels good, do it, right? And I think that when I find myself up against something I find myself up against something where I wake up and it feels like a chore. Well, it feels out of alignment. Let's say that. You can feel that it's out of alignment. You have all these wonderful uh, New Age euphemisms for for uh, the, the way I want to speak. I know, but I mean, do you really want to... It's not a chore. Do you want to describe yes. it as teaching kids as a chore? I don't no. think that's quite what you mean. It's not quite what I mean. You but just know that it's out of alignment with what is happening in your life at that moment. Right. And if it wasn't out of alignment, it wouldn't feel. It would feel good. Yes. Right. Totally. And and there were listen for the majority of the time, it definitely felt like it was in alignment. And some of your students are like insanely talented. That's true. Right? So it's got to be fun to work with them. I mean, I just saw, a, a, I guess, an inking thing that one of your students did yesterday, and it is phenomenal. Yeah. And then the other little boy who's only eight, he can draw things, cartoon characters that look like they were drawn by the creator, him or herself. So you've got some really talented little people that you're working with, young people, yeah. I should say. Yeah. So um, that... The recognition of of that though comes from just uh, you'll be very happy like listening to your inner voice mm. and um, just self analyzing to say how am I feeling? What's the root of this feeling and thought? And what does that mean? Or what are the implications of that feeling or thought? Um, so that's a small example, and then we've had larger examples of. Um, things where there was a time and a place for everything. I mean, you know, the, our work with the foundation. Yes, for some of you who listen to this may already know, may know us, may know our backstory, and I'm sure in time all of our story will get out and we will share it. But the the foundation was something we created in honor of our daughter who was born with a serious heart defect and she died when she was 24 days old. And that was 15, 16 years ago, 16 years ago. She would have just turned 16 two months ago. 
And so after she died, we immediately knew that we wanted to create a foundation in her honor that we'd always wanted to uh, help young people go to school because you went to school with a scholarship. And so we wanted to be able to make that possible for other kids. And so we started that foundation in her honor called the Sydney May Taylor Foundation. And we ran that for 12 years. So when we started it, we had her, she had died, so we didn't have any kid, living kids at home. So it was just the two of us. Right. So I know I poured a lot of my heart and soul into it because I had taken time off of work, off of my job, and so I had nothing but time to give to it. And it was such a healing factor. It was such a big part of our healing mm -hmm. in those early years because we were keeping her memory alive. And for those 12 years that we ran it, we, we had another son, then we had another <laughs> daughter, then we had another son. Right. And with each additional child, the ability to run that foundation and put the time towards it became more and more difficult. And as, our, as we healed more and more in our grief, it became less and less necessary, a less necessary part of our lives to heal us. And so it started feeling like more of a burden and more of a more out of alignment with where we were 12 years down the road. Right. I mean, we we made amazing friends through those 12 years. We helped tons of kids living with heart defects go to college. We gave so many scholarships out and we saw them through all four years. We we have had kids graduate, tons of kids graduate. We've had kids get married. None of our kids have had their own children yet because they're still young 20-somethings and they're working on their careers and such. But we've watched them graduate. We've watched them get married, buy houses, get jobs, become lawyers, uh, teachers, teachers yeah. nurses. It's just incredible. Um, and then we've also helped younger heart kids go to a special summer camp. So we did many, many just life-changing things for other people. And the generosity that was shown to us through the foundation was something I'll never forget. And I'm so grateful for the people who year after year would come together and volunteer their time to help us. And they'll always be in my heart, and I know yours as well. And um, so eventually. it became difficult because yeah. then also I was trying to kind of, well, I never really quit working. I worked part time always, you know, just take several months off when each child was born, but then go right back to my part time job. So with three kids at home, running a foundation, having a part time job, it was really just too much at that point. So we made the difficult decision to retire the foundation. And so we stopped the fundraising activities, but we, we, we made sure we had enough money. Before we made that decision, we made sure we had enough money to see our current scholarship recipients through their graduations so that we wouldn't leave them hanging midway through school. Right. And then once the last few graduated, then we officially closed the doors on it and 
because the, that was the right time and place for that, we did not feel sad. We did not feel regretful. Right. I, I, I don't know about you, but I felt completely like I, it was a, something that had come to full circle and completion. I felt really good about what we had been able to do with the foundation, and I knew its time had come to phase out of our lives. Well, I think at the early part of it, um, you know, maybe in that first year, and there was, you know, we had an annual golf tournament that we did, and then we would do um, a casino night, and we had a couple of different events that we put on that were our fundraising events. And I think there was just a little bit of right after we made the decision that we were going to stop fundraising um, and close, you know, eventually close it down in that first, whatever it was, uh, quarter or six months after that, there was some sense of just, oh, normally we would be doing this. But as you said, I mean, I think it was so clear that that was not... um, the right fit for us at, at that, that moment that it became um that it was a natural thing to just feel oh yeah but that's okay right it, it it all feels good which 10 years earlier we wouldn't have been able to conceive of the idea of having let it go right, right. at that point when we were still you know deep in the midst of i think you know uh, understanding our grief process and um, you know, still working to really grow it at that point. Um, grow the foundation, not the grief process. No, yeah, yeah, right. Grow the foundation at that point. Um, <laughs> but by that, by the time we reach that, and with our our own children having um, more and more uh, need for us, time, uh, energy, you know, those kinds of things, it became a natural a natural decision. Um, so, you know, that's there, another example of time and place for everything. I, I as we discussed in the uh, first episode, I'm a comic book artist. And I've wanted to be a comic book artist since I was 16 years old. Or 10 years old making those little handwritten yeah. Things that you did with your neighbor. Yeah, someday there'll be a uh, there'll be an edited version of those in a uh, in a show note, but not right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, but they were folded on little pieces of construction paper, and you said, you, well, your uh, neighbor friend typed them on his typewriter because that was what that was back then, and you did the illustrations, and they're the cutest little. I wrote. I did everything. Stories. All he did was type it. I wrote those stories and mm-hmm. did the illustrations. And those are novels, actually, young lady. I, I want you to get that straight. Those are not oh. comic books. Those are my, my first. Bad. Those are my first novels. My bad. Um, and then there were actually with some other friends where I did little hand folded staple comics that I don't even know if you've ever seen copies of them. But I anyway, don't think so. I've always wanted to be a comic book artist. I love the medium. I love uh, the uh, adventure. The sense of. Um, the opportunity to do like tell heroic stories, and as we approached, uh, or as I approached forty years old, I came to the conclusion. I said, I am going to make a comic book and publish a comic book by the time I'm forty years old. 
Yeah, you set that line in the sand. I drew a line in the sand hard and fast. I started working on stories, and I was taking classes online, and I was going to make a printed comic book by the time I was 40. I don't think you possibly could have conceived of the steep learning curve that you were embarking on because it wasn't just, oh, you draw a couple of pictures, throw down some words, and you hit the print button. You had to learn software. You had to learn layout for the for the images and how do you lay out a page and which way should the person be looking and should they come off the square or onto the square and how do you move the reader's eyes through the whole story and look i sound like i know what i'm talking about yeah this about. is amazing you feel like you've absorbed a lot of stuff yeah but then you have to put the word balloons in and then oh my gosh that was horrendous for you learning the font and the text and then you layer it and you compress it oh my god i compressed it before i was ready now i can't get in there to edit it so you set that line in the sand before you even had a clue what you were even setting yourself up for. Yeah. So that line in the sand mm, didn't get I wasn't achieved. ready. It was at the time. Right. Now, thankfully, uh, it was only a short time later. It was a year later. Yeah, it wasn't that long. When I was finally able to produce my first published comic book. And then you know, I've gone on to do... We actually were sitting down last night... And kind of, I was going through some different uh, inventory things and just looking at, you know, numbers of comics sold. And it's, you know, it's not like it's uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of comic books that I've sold. But over the past three years of going to comic shows and producing work and doing commissions for people, there are a lot of people out there who have um, comic books of mine, artwork of mine. Um, prints, different things like that, that that they have purchased, and you know it's something that I continue to do, and I continue to be focused on on doing because now the timing of that is right, though, as we get into summer <laughs> and volleyball is uh, is constantly uh, is a sun that is constantly eclipsing at times uh, everything else. Hmm. Um, it becomes a little bit more challenging, but it remains something that I know. Now I'm in the right place and time to do that thing. Um, and that's an important part of, of what, we, what we do and we think about when we're talking about trying to, trying to max out this. Max out or maximize? Let's say maximize. We're not maxing out. We're, I'm thinking maxing out like you lift, you max out, you go... No, but maximizing uh, this life is is recognizing, okay, is it the right time? Is it the right place? Good. We have the space here. Then let's use it. And we agree and we talk about it and we say, okay, this is something I want to do. This is something that I think, you know, is, is important to fit this in. So let's do it. And then... And the other thing I wanted to say about the comic books with um, a, a time and a place, I know when you were... In high school, you fancied becoming a comic book artist right out of school. But then various reasons and forces worked against you, and you ended up going to Drexel, which is where we met, and you got a degree in business. Mm -hmm. And then you ended up becoming a financial advisor. So that took you far, far from the roots of your childhood, which was being a comic book artist. And... You know, I know that there have been times when you have begrudged that path that you found yourself on, 
And I think because it wasn't something you necessarily uh, willingly chose or it wasn't your first choice, let's put it that way. But I like to look back on things and see how everything makes sense at the... Well, like in hindsight, things start to... Make You're about to say the end? <laughs> no, things start to make more sense. And so, you know, we talk about fate or destiny or whatever... I think that there was no possible way either one of us was not going to end up at Drexel because it was part of our life plan that our paths would cross. I know when I was in high school and I was looking at colleges, I, as soon as I heard the, the word Drexel University, I didn't know anything about it, but as soon as I heard the word, I just knew in my soul that that was where I was supposed to go. I had nothing logical to go on. I didn't even know what programs they offered, what degrees. I didn't know how much it costs. Or I found out it was two hours north of where I lived, but that's about it. I knew in, in, in an instant, like instantly, I knew that's where I was supposed to go. So. Well, you have that. Your sense of intuition with a lot of that stuff is, is very strong. Um, I think for me... I would never I, I came out of high school having uh, been in a kind of art track as a high school senior um, but I was surrounded by what at the time I felt were far superior artists more uh, technically proficient in some of the things that we were doing in those art programs and by the time I got to the end of my senior year I think my degree of uh, confidence in my own abilities as an artist were probably not really that high you know there, there were certainly people who I went to school with who went directly into art school and um, I'm not really that close with very many of them but I'm sure they they went on to careers that were focused on art from the very uh, get-go. Their particular skills and talents and interests were very much aligned to what would have been a kind of art curriculum in a high school at that point. My idea of being a comic book artist was not really being a... A, a fine artist. Yeah, it was not like really... a painter or yeah, something. Yeah, it was not aligned with what work that we were doing right. uh, in those classes. So it was sort of a a logical fallacy for me to be comparing myself and what I did to what some of those other kids did. But I just mentally, time and place again, right? I mentally was not ready to embrace the idea of, oh, yeah, I just got to go do this art thing right now. Can't wait. Got to go do it. I think I was ready to accept the idea of, no, you know what? I will do the more practical thing the more um i don't know what the right word to use is but standard the more <laughs> socially acceptable thing i think yes and you know we've talked about that a lot in recent years making the most of your own life and going after what you're go moving towards what your soul's purpose is but i still don't think that any of what happened or any choices that you made in your life were a mistake because or or a bad one because it 
put you in a place where you and your path and mine could cross. Right. And then, um, you know, if my understanding of comic book artistry is that it's not the highest paying career out there unless you're one of the really super famous ones and Absolutely. then you can make a great living doing it. Yep. But what we didn't know at the time was that we would go on to find out that building our own family wasn't quite as easy as we had hoped it would be. And so we had to go through fertility treatments for our first three of our four children. And all told, we probably spent over $30,000 in uh, medications and doctor bills and treatments and all kinds of things. And if you had chosen right. comic book artistry right out of school, unless you became the one of the top 10 comic book artists in the world, which maybe you would have, maybe you wouldn't have, who knows, but we would have been, we would have been looking at, okay, well now we can't even afford to create the family that we've always dreamed of. Time and place, right? Everything happened, everything happened in the way, or, or things happened in their right time and place, and we can look at it now and say, um, that we have the right time and place now for me to be focused on that as something that I do. Um, it doesn't prevent me, though, from at times when I'm not as... Focused? Well, I was going to say when times when I'm not as uh, enlightened about it or when I'm not in uh, the best headspace thinking at times mm -hmm. about the lost opportunities or the lost um, time. time of well what if if I had done that then versus now but when when I have the proper headspace in place headspace in place that's a good one um, mm -hmm. then I can very carefully look at things and say yeah this is the time for this thing to be a part of what I do and I can appreciate it now and I am able to do the work that I can do and that I want to get out there and, and have the freedom to actually produce the work I want. Whereas if things had gone a different way, when I, I was having a conversation this past weekend with a, a comic artist who has been doing it for 20-some years. We are of an age. We're within two or three years of each other. And he literally started into it right out of art school. And while he is... He has the acclamation and the name in the industry that at times I might sit there and wish I had. And he has had the opportunity to work on projects of characters who, uh, you know, anyone who's paying attention to media at all knows and loves and sees him all the time. Um, he does not have the freedom to be able to produce all the time the work that he wants to produce. He has deadlines. He has... A mortgage to pay from doing art and he basically at times is drawing what they tell him to draw as opposed to letting his create letting his create creativity easy for me to say creativity flow in whatever path he wants it to so you know that's that's another little piece of that idea of you know if you come to it in the right time and place then it will deliver to you what it's supposed to right so, time and place for everything. 
is this the time and the place for us to wrap up this episode? I think so. Gotcha. So I would encourage our listeners to take stock of their own lives at this time and in this place and see what kind of take an inventory of what what things are in their lives, what activities, what things are they a part of, and what what feels like a good fit. Like, go line by line. Which of these things feel like a good fit? And if you have a spouse, maybe you both sit down and do this activity together, and you look line by line what the kids are doing, what you're doing, what the spouse is doing, if you're a single parent or if you're just single or if you're just married with no kids, whatever, whatever your station in life is at this point, it, this activity can help anybody to just really take a look at how you spend your time and if you're spending, find out if you're spending it in the way that makes the most sense for you to live a happy fulfilled life some things you can't take out you you have to pay your mortgage you can't just you know say i want to just travel around the world on a sailboat well i guess you could but you'd have to sell your house or something but you know like there are some things that are crazy unreasonable but um some things are there are more things that are optional in our lives than we really think or realize. And it's not until we take a good, hard look at all the ways, all the things we spend our time on, that we really start to be able to say, is this optional? And if it is, do I want it in my life or do I not? Right. Because once you can take out even one or two things out of your life that do not fit your life, either are used to but don't now or never really did, once you can take some of those out, the, the lightness you feel, it's almost like you're breathing oxygen again, like you can breathe. Yeah. So I would encourage our listeners to do that activity, no matter where you are in life. All right. So on that note, I think we'll wrap up. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. To thank you for listening to our podcast, we would like to put you in a special drawing. Everyone who subscribes to our podcast and gives us a review on iTunes before we post episode 8 will be entered into a drawing to win either a copy of my book, Connection and Kindness, The Key to Changing the World Through Parenting, or copies of the full library of On the Square Comics publications, including the sold-out first print of Centralia Number 1, the Spring Anthology, and my 2016 sketchbook. The winners will be announced in Episode 9. Good luck.